I am absolutely editing that part out. <laughs> I I want to like I want to like catch you as you're falling, but I'm kind of enjoying watching you fall. So nope, nope. <laughs> let me fall, man. Let me fall. Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to the Drunken UX Podcast. This is episode number 21 with a title that is yet to be determined, but we're going to be talking about uh, automotive websites, uh, specifically car, car dealers. dealers. Um, and that's that's what we got for tonight. This is, let me see, this is going to be the episode for, what is it, October 15th, if my memory's so. right? We are at five weeks and counting until we have a full year's wow. worth of episodes. Holy in the crap. Time. That's 26 weeks without missing a week. and you know what? Cheers to Indeed. you, my friend. That's a heck of an accomplishment. <laughs> I'm very proud of that. Uh, and we, we've we got uh, some cool stuff coming up. Uh, I'm going to be on the road in a couple weeks to High Ed Web 2018 in Sacramento, California. And let me tell you, if you think I'm not taking my recording equipment with me, you're wrong. Are you wrong. taking the recording equipment with you? Because I was oh, thinking you yes. weren't going to. But I guess I would be wrong. Uh, that is a common misconception, believe it or not. Um <laughs> No, the the bad part is I've got to haul a lot of other gear with me. I've got this great case for everything. Um, and for anybody who does recording or photography or anything that requires you to haul gear around, Rigid makes some multi-purpose and multi-sized, like, toolbox cases. And they have one that's kind of just, it's a little bit bigger than a briefcase. But these boxes are fully weather-sealed. They're lockable. And there's a company called uh, Kaizen. Um, I'll throw a link in the show notes just for the heck of it. Now, they aren't paying me to say this or anything. I just happen to have used them. And, and they what they do is they make a foam insert. They're laser-cut foam inserts. And they fit a, a bunch of different boxes. But they do make one specifically for these rigid boxes. So you can buy the box. The box is like $25. You get a foam insert for 20 bucks, And you can make a custom nice. like carrying case for your equipment. So in in my case, it's audio, but you could do it for camera gear. You could do it for anything that you are hauling, scientific equipment, whatever. Um, cool. And if you go price boxes like that on Amazon that are like generic boxes with foam in them, it, a good size box is already going to cost you 60 or 70 bucks. So, so you can make like a custom like movie looking case cutout thing? Yeah. You could do anything nice. you need to in it. I think I've seen people do that for gaming supplies. Yeah. Like for like mini, like yeah, stuff. tabletop gaming. You yeah, cut out mm-hmm. your little mini uh, mini holders and army holders and all that. Um, we're not nerds. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll throw a link to that though, just because I do. And uh, if you here we go, good segue. Um, if you want to check us out on social media, we are uh, Drunken UX on Twitter and Facebook. We are Drunken UX Podcast on Instagram. I've actually shared some photos of that equipment on our Instagram. So if you're wondering oh, what that right. looks like in practice. Go check us out there because I share some extra photos behind the scenes and stuff um, yeah. at that. Also, don't forget about drunkenux.com slash slack. Come talk with us. Come chat. Tell us how much you love our show. Share ideas with us. Share notes. Yeah. Uh, tell us what you're drinking. Tell us. Yeah. Uh, that's the best part about the show, isn't it? I mean, because <laughs> let me tell you something. If there's one thing there's a shortage of, it is podcasts with two guys who drink and talk about stuff. <laughs> we do not have enough of those in our lives. 
<laughs> my favorite is when we both get hit a little bit harder than we're expecting with the drinks and then the second half we're just kind of <laughs> like what hey, people still listen that's the important part there <laughs> <laughs> Folks, this episode of the Drunken UX Podcast is brought to you by our friends at New Cloud. You can run by their site at newcloud.com slash drunkenux and check them out. They do interactive maps and, and illustrations and platform and all that. Let me see. What else? Speaking of drinks, what are you drinking? Today? Drinks? Uh, well, because you know the way I roll, um, we're back to scotch. Um, did I have scotch last week? I don't remember. Um, you had um, you had whiskey last week. Oh, yeah. It was, it was Makers. Remember? Yeah. So, or last time. Because Joel had the uh, oh the Irish whiskey, right? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm back to my single malts. Uh, this is a mm. Highland Scotch called Aberlauer. I think I've had it before. I at this point I genuinely can't remember what I haven't haven't had on on the show. But um, <laughs> it's just a nice it's a nice evening drink. Let me tell you. I got a uh, I have a White Russian made with Kahlua and Svedka, and some half and half. And it is the like, there's a good fall drink. So yeah, I, I like white Russians and I discovered a drink and it's, it's kind of a drink. It's usually a shot, but I have ordered mm -hmm. it as a drink because <laughs> I don't know. I'm an alcoholic. Um, only on weekends. <laughs> it's, it's called gingerbread. Ooh. It's Irish cream, fireball okay. and, uh, butterscotch schnapps. So that sounds really yeah, good. Yeah, it is uh kind Very of potent. incredible. <laughs> it, yeah. It's the kind of drink that you could get into trouble with because like when you have it, yeah. it's like, wow, this is that's why I order it as a drink now. Because it's yeah. super good. But I mean, it's <laughs> pure alcohol. There's no uh, there's no non-alcoholic mixer in that. So it definitely you have to be careful with it, but it's so and it, <laughs> it is true to its name across the board. It is very very Christmassy kind of. She said Bailey's Fireball and what was the third? Butterscotch thing? schnapps. Butterscotch. Okay. So I'll have to try that out. That sounds really yeah, good. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth uh, taking a second to try mm. out because it, it's easy. It's equal parts. It's not you know like a weird mix or anything. It's very straightforward mm -hmm. to make. So uh, cool. The Mixology podcast. No. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, I gave, uh, for our folks listening at home, I gave uh, Aaron a choice in topics this evening to start things off. <laughs> and uh, oddly enough, he didn't want to dive into the battleground that is WordPress Gutenberg accessibility. <laughs> and I'm not sure I blame him for uh, maybe. <laughs> it's really more of an RTO topic. It's, yeah, we, we, it's... I may have taken care of that. And I've even, uh, if, if you listen to that episode of RTO, and this is all I'm going to say, and then we'll go into the real topic. Um, I defended WordPress pretty heavily in that episode of RTO and 24 hours later, I regretted some of the things I said, not because, <laughs> not because I necessarily feel differently about my stance, but I feel like my defense of them is less warranted. So <laughs> no, uh, we're going to talk about Docker for a few minutes. Docker. We will, and we've brought it up on the show before, and, and there is still a future episode where this will be the topic. Um, but I thought it would be... Yeah, we should really do it's, that. Yeah, I think that yeah. the build tools and the value of it, I think, is you know a, a topic unto itself. I just am very recently really digging into it a lot more heavily, and I'm 
having a lot of fun with what we're doing right now at work with it. Um, oh, for, for those of you who aren't familiar with Docker, Docker is, functionally speaking, it's similar to a VM like image that you would download, sort of like Vagrant. But it works behind the scenes. It works differently. And if you don't know what a VM um, is, a lot of developers, that's a virtual machine. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's used by a lot of devs to um, kind of have a easily reproducible, well, easily in quotation marks, reproducible dev environment for whatever app you're doing. Yeah. Um, and the where we've started digging into it is specifically for that value because we've got mm -hmm. four devs working two are in one place are the other two of us are in totally different places i work in linux um they work on macs um sometimes you know one of us will be working in windows or something remotely mm -hmm. um and we ran into problems before like with gulp for instance um and you yeah. know gulp and node don't necessarily always play the exact same game together depending on <laughs> if you're not using the exact same versions or depending on what operating system you're on. Um, what is uh, the, the ever present uh, S FS events error that everybody sees at some point oh, in their God. life yeah. using gulp. Um, it, it helps get everybody on the same page. And so that's where we were like, this will be cool there. And there's a smashing magazine article. I'll throw in, uh, a link to it. I think it's a couple years old now, but it's still pretty good. That talks about, you can still take and put like node and gulp and, uh, any, an NPM and your other tools like that into a Docker image that you build and then share that between all of your developers. Okay. And then when, then you just download your, your Docker image and, fire it up and then boom everybody is running exactly the same thing right um, and that it also you know it saves trouble right because it's not just a compatibility thing but you know we recycle our machine every couple years which means we have to go mm -hmm. through and then reinstall our environments and all of that and you know yep all the command line stuff that comes into play if you're a developer that's working in linux you know that most of that happens through a lot of pseudo apt get install <laughs> commands <laughs> um, and so it just it simplifies right. all of that and then now you've just got you know a terminal that's running all of your tools um mm -hmm. that's super cool we're not there yet we're like we are i think we're about 90 percent of the way on it um and we're smoothing out a couple wrinkles there but we're just a stone's throw away from being able to have our Dev environments totally synced between every developer using the same versions of everything. Um, so I have mixed feelings about Docker. I I think it's a cool tool, and I think that it, on paper, it has a lot of value, and in practice, when it works right, it's great. The, the bad feelings I have about it are because it adds overhead to project maintenance and what i mean by that is so i'm project lead on an open source project for ruby for good and we're actually demoing at the national diplomatic network conference in atlanta in two weeks um which is super stoked we're going to demo our project to the world excited about that but um when we were working on it at the conference earlier this year i would say about 20 percent of the time and we have only like three days to work on it 
but 20% of the hours we had available were spent just getting people like onboarded with Docker because they kept running into problems, either with like outbound network connections or just like getting the database to work right. It was just issues with, with overhead. And, and yes, that could probably be resolved if people were just more familiar with debugging Docker on their own. But, you know, every single one of those people, when I was like, well, just do a normal native install, and they would just install the Rails app normally and, and spin it up, and I'd have it working completely in under 30 seconds. So, like, the value that Docker ostensibly adds, it, it's not always there, especially on, like, a distributed open source project where you have a bunch of people um, and even people who are like, I want to use Docker because I've used it before. I still see issues and like questions coming in from uh, potential contributors who are like, how do I get Docker to work with this? It's not working right. Um, I don't maintain the Docker file, but I, the people who wrote it know how to do Docker. So I'm just assuming that it's correct. I, it feels very much like the kind of argument you can make for virtually any build tool in a way. Um yeah, I've because I've made that argument about you know some of the stuff that I use Gulp for and things like that. That I mm -hmm. feel like trying to maintain Gulp files and package.json <laughs> files and all that is like a, a, an uphill fight in some cases. <laughs> I've I've learned that with when Gulp doesn't work right, the solution is usually the uh, the turn it on and off again solution is the rm minus rf node modules yeah. and then gulp <laughs> and then like nine times out of ten that fixes and it and <laughs> docker rm is also a good solution when you're having yeah. image yeah. problems oddly enough right um we've we're applying it to one other place and here's where i think it does work really well uh in terms of just consistency is uh, mm. while our main CMS is not Docker-ready yet, um, they are working on it, um, WordPress absolutely is. And so yeah. we're starting a new theme uh, for a site. Uh, it's a child theme uh, for a premium uh, Avada. It's Avada. I don't know why I'm trying to be cagey about it. We're making a child <laughs> theme for Avada for a site that we're going to be maintaining. And I was able to just toss in a Docker folder I wrote up a Docker Compose file that says, bring in a database, bring in WordPress, bring in the CLI, fire it all mm -hmm. up, and you know, persist the database so that as we're developing, we keep stuff. We're gonna we're gonna do some other stuff because there are, and I've had some conversations with some friends on Twitter about this that you know, this idea of the best way to stay in sync, especially from a database standpoint. Um, and there are some tools. Right. TinUp has the WP snapshots uh, utility for that. Because some of the work, of course, is theme-related, but some of it is page-related and content-related. And so if we develop that locally, we need a way to get that onto our staging and, and live site without wiping each other's work out. <laughs> and Docker can't really help with that, but it, it definitely helps from the standpoint of you check out the theme, you run Docker Compose up, and boom, you've got WordPress running with our theme. And as you edit that theme, it's changing live on the site because it's sim-linked, basically, yeah. the volume. So your, your theme cool. directory is all automatically mapped inside the Docker container. Right, right. And that's, that's super useful. Because uh, yeah. it means everybody can work individually. We're not fighting each other on a dev server. Um, we do have a dev server, mm -hmm. but we will push completed work to it to then check before uh, QA. I, I, and I just, I think all of that is sort of cool. You know, it's, it's my, not, 
It's very It's cool. not my first yeah. foray into Docker, but it's my first real foray into it, so to speak. I, I mean, even though, the, even though the experience I had with it was kind of meh, um, I, I do think it's very valuable. And I think that it's something like we will get past these difficulties uh, as more people learn to use it. And uh, perhaps the Docker developers themselves kind of adapt the tool around how it's being used. Like as it matures more, I, I suspect we'll see less of these problems and it will just work better. It's it is very cool though. You have to be a developer to use it well. Yeah. Yeah. And like in our case, there's a certain question that we were trying to solve, which is okay, I check out the repo, I run it, I get a WordPress site, but it's still a naked WordPress site. Um mm -hmm. it doesn't have any of our plugins. And again, we're working with a premium theme. So I can't just get the premium theme from the WordPress repo. Um, so there's still some stuff there right. that uh, I'm discovering things like, hey, I can include the CLI and set a, an entry point script that will run, that will run the CLI commands to go download the plugins mm -hmm. that we need and all of that. So it's all set up ahead of time without having to like make a custom image just for the purposes of right. the project, which is something that, you know, I, f I feel like that's a, a don't repeat yourself kind of thing. Like if I'm copying WordPress yeah. just to add a few customizations, that's <laughs> that's not a good approach. Yeah. But uh, thumbs up. I I think that people should look at it. Um, I think you are also right in terms of it presents challenges, but I think it there's just it's, yeah. It's hard. If, if just prepare yourself. You you may add overhead for your developers, so just kind of don't just don't expect it to be a turnkey solution yet, because I don't think it's there yet, but I think it can be soon. It's definitely worth checking out, especially if you are on a distributed team. It's really really valuable for that. It has a a ton of value in uh, CI environments, mm. continuous integration, so mm -hmm. that oh my gosh, you yeah. can develop something yeah. locally, and then you also just send that Docker file over to your deploy system if that's Jenkins or whatever, and uh -huh. it's able then to when Jake Jacobs when Jenkins got <laughs> we are not early into this show, and I'm screwing up words. Um, when Jake, I almost did it again. <laughs> When, when Jenkins detects a Git change, <laughs> like if you've got it pointed at your master branch, then it repulls everything, reruns that Docker file. Um, and if you're using like uh, Beanstalk or something like that, where you can run your services, just a nice, simple containerized service. Um, now, I think Amazon uses Kubernetes or whatever, but um, the idea mm -hmm. is exactly the same at that point. So once you figure right. it out, it's kind of like switching between using NPM and Yarn. For instance, it's like yeah. it's very yeah. similar tools working in very similar, almost exact same ways. You just switch, you know, because I don't know, people want to solve problems <laughs> the same way. Speaking of solving problems the same way, which has nothing to do with what I'm about to say. Uh, <laughs> we are talking about automotive websites tonight and not like Ford or Kia or, or Nissan or any of these folks or Chevy, not to leave anybody out, but dealer, dealer websites. websites. Yeah. So uh, a few episodes back, we talked about weather websites and we kind of did this thing where we just, you know, kicked back and started doing some live testing on some stuff and talking about what we see them doing wrong and what we find frustrating about their sites. And we thought, you know, who else needs this treatment? Car dealers. <laughs> everyone. Yeah, everyone. Everyone, let's <laughs> including well, car dealers. C is pretty close to the start of the alphabet. Let's start there. 
It technically it's A if you go automotive. I think you see, you're thinking. Yeah. Come on, this is why this guy uh, works with me on this show. <laughs> this is this is what I contribute to the show is alphabetization <laughs> and synonyms. So <laughs> you're welcome. We are gonna we're gonna do this thing. We we've got this whole whole thing set up. So I think about this a lot, and and there's gonna be I think a lot of comparisons drawn between car dealers and realtors. Mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about like autotrader.com or cars.com or these sites because to me they feel very much like a zillow type site you know they're like an aggregator they're just aggregating listings really um Mm -hmm. and honestly kind of (laughs) prefer them (laughs) um we just uh went through this whole process um my wife was finally done with her car we bought it I don't know, man, what is this, 2018? Man, we've had that car mm. almost eight years, I think. Um, it, was a, it's a, it was a 2007. We bought it in 2010, so it wasn't real old when we got it. Uh, but she was, you know, it's, it's over 100,000 miles. It was a cheap car. It was a Chevy mm-hmm. HHR, which kind of mm-hmm. cool looking, but they're real cheaply made, and the paint was peeling, and stupid stuff kept breaking on it, and I was tired of fixing it. Ten, ten, ten years is when it... It's kind of like over the hill for cars, I think. Yeah. Unless it's a Camry. 10 years is like 18 years for a Camry. <laughs> That's like teen- teenage. It's just finishing its teenage hey, years. My pickup is 15 years, and it's still going strong. And as long as it is paid <laughs> off and running, I will keep driving that truck. Uh, <laughs> and we, so we went through this process of, okay, well, what do you want? How do we find it? She wanted a uh, Nissan Juke. If anybody's familiar, it's a little tiny kind of SUV. It's like a baby SUV. It's like a teenager SUV and not like four teenagers. Like it's a teenager. It hasn't fully completed puberty yet. It's, it's yeah. going through that phase where it's got colored hair and a nose ring uh, <laughs> before it really gets to its full age. That's kind of the way I, uh, I, I look at the juke. It's just a small little thing. My wife is very short for folks who don't know this. She... She needs a small car because she herself is uh, <laughs> is a mini miniature in a fashion. Jukes. The thing about the Juke is, it isn't like the most popular car in the world. I I'm sitting here on a hangout with Aaron, and I saw his face when I said Nissan Juke, and he's like Juke Juke Juke. Yeah, I don't know it. So finding one, especially in the middle of Kansas, a little bit challenging. And I started with an, I think it was Auto Trader was where I went first. And we found, we ended up finding mm-hmm. one. We found a, a few uh, ultimately, but we bounced around at several places. But in this process, I had to go through several dealer websites as I was trying to check the information. Yeah. Uh, just like house listings, I said this was going to be a recurring theme. Uh, when places like Auto Trader aggregate in listings, there's not perfect data parity. And so a dealer website right. may have information on it about the vehicle that isn't on Auto Trader. They may have extra photos or whatever. So I use that to find where the car is, and then I would go to their site to get more information. You, you know, so two points I want to mention at this point with a comparison to real estate is, but I, I think the audience for both of these things is people who are looking to make a very like significant purchase. Like most of the people who are going to be using these sites and making a purchase want to actually research the investment because it's a lot of money for most people. 
you know, whether you're buying a house or a car, this is a substantial amount of money that you're going to be dropping on this thing. So you want to make a good choice and you want to get it right the first time. This isn't like buying a television or something where if you mess it up, it's like, oh, well, I'll dump this on Craigslist and buy a new one or I'll just deal with it for the next couple of years. Um, you want to you want to get it right. It's very much like especially from the, even the paperwork standpoint, you know, everything about this mm-hmm. process is uh, very you know, not impulsive. Mm-hmm. It takes a very special person to just decide one day that they're going to buy a new car and they don't know what it is or where they're going to get it. But <laughs> I feel like spending 30 grand today. Let's go get a new car. Like that's, <laughs> we don't, nobody right. knows people like that. They exist. <laughs> well, it's just that nobody yeah. knows them. <laughs> This whole process, and I've looked at car dealer websites before, and it's been one of those sore spots for me, and so this kind of made it a nice raw open wound with salt in it, and I thought, let's have some fun. (laughs) (laughs) Much like real estate websites, much like uh, municipal websites, um, you know, if you're familiar with Civic Plus, it's a platform that serves cities all over the country for their websites. Um, Sidearm, that works with uh, athletics organizations. There are a handful okay. of companies that deal directly with car dealers and provide them a mm-hmm. platform. You know, if, you, if you've ever looked at your local newspaper website or, or news broadcast website, uh, you also see a lot of this in terms of very similar layout. Turnkey websites. Very similar tool sets. Right. Definitely lowest common denominator features in many cases. There's not a lot of cutting edge mm-hmm. newness so to speak to it they they definitely try to do like one size fits yeah. all throw your colors on it throw your logo on it the kind of the kind of experience you would see with like a squarespace or a wix that kind of thing like it, it's they try to get all the the get the big the big names uh, or the big features in the feature set and then just you know everybody kind of builds they, there's like some variety between the sites but overall it's the same tool set. yeah there's uh, there's very little flexibility in, in many of those models. I would say even like Squarespace, Wix, those folks, like you have more, mm-hmm. way more options in many of those cases. Um, oh, certainly. You know, if you're doing it yourself. Yeah. So, and, and one that like a, a lot of the local places here uses a group called CDK Global. And I'm not trying to call them out specifically or anything, but they're one of these groups that that's what they offer. They they provide this. This is comparable to uh, the restaurant episodes we did a while yeah. back uh, when we were discussing what was the name of that one? Not oh, Webflow or Bento Box, either one. Actually, Bento Box would be the one specifically. That was the one that was like specifically for restaurants. It'd be comparable to that. Yeah. So it, we, and this, the experience across all of these, and there's, I, I only bring it up because what happens is. These companies, rather than going out and building a solution that is right for them, their market, their lot, their car lot, you know, they buy into a platform and just call mm-hmm. it good. And I, I don't know. I'm not a car dealer. I don't work with car dealer websites. I don't know what the rates are. Uh, my guess is it's a mm-hmm. percentage of sales or something like that, perhaps, um, or volume. You know, how yeah. many? Uh, what are they? How, what's the phrase? I think they call it how many uh, roofs you have. Um, you know, does your car lot have yeah. 10 cars on it or does it have a hundred cars on it? You know, I Oh yeah. Roof, roofs. Like car roofs. Um, I th- yeah, they said roofs, roofs, <laughs> roofs, roofs. <laughs> that, I, I honestly don't know what the, what the Kansas, uh, roof in Indiana. It would be roof. Rough. 
<laughs> rough, well, rough. whatever it is. Um, yeah. So I, I've got pulled up in front of me a few websites here, and these range from like the the actual like actual new dealers for different brands, whether that's Ford, Chevy, or such, to some of the used dealers, to some of the what I call kind of like the hometown dealer. One thing that uh, I'm going to start with is, and we talked about with weather, and I was fascinated by the difference in page sizes. Some of these pages actually loaded pretty quickly, and with, like, here's, I'm looking at one right now. Do you mean, when you say size, you mean, like, file size, or do you mean dimensions? Payload size. Pay, okay, um, gotcha. I'm looking at one here that's 1.7 megs, which honestly... That's not. That's pretty small for not web. Not real bad nowadays. Then I'm looking at one right next to it. That's twelve point three megs. Oh my god! <laughs> the difference seems to rely heavily on uh, the the local dealers tend to have websites that are very homegrown as well. Um, <laughs> the one I'm looking at right now is is it looks purely static actually, um, like they're copying an HTML page, swapping images into it. And okay. FTPing it up to a server. It doesn't appear to have any kind of CMS. Like it's it's on a HostGator account or Bluehost somewhere, and that's just it. Uh, but what they're doing, and the mistake I see them making here, is they're uploading all these images of these cars. A, their their entire homepage is their car listing, and they've just taken oh. big photos and width width them down small. Like the word <laughs> yeah oh no like they have the full size image and they're just soft soft sizing it oh soft sized i like that word is that is that the phrase uh I, it is now yeah no i like it um yeah <laughs> you you heard it here soft first folks. Sized. i like soft that. size um yeah no because that's that is the worst way possible to do it but i of course don't expect you know this gentleman is older that runs this website. I don't mm -hmm. expect him to be savvy with that. At one point, he had a car that I wanted, and I was tempted to go get my whole barter hat on and be like, you know what? <laughs> I can help you have a much better website if you're willing to, like, you know, give me a car half off. So size is one thing. And what, what I noticed, too, as we were researching this episode a little bit was that, you know, there's a these problems are a conglomeration. The The mm -hmm. worst of the sites have most of the problems. The best of the sites still have some of the problems, and there's not a good consistency of which sites have which problems. Is, is there a correlation between the amount of problems they have and whether or not they're using one of the prepackaged solutions? I would say the answer to that is anecdotally, yes. Okay. So the prepackaged solutions are helping them stay away from those easy problems? Like easy pit traps. in some cases, but they are they are creating new problems. So here's an example. So I'm looking mm -hmm. at this dealer's website. Local dealer, small mm -hmm. lot. I think he has at any given time about 20 cars on his lot. Um, he puts everything on the homepage, which in mm -hmm. a weird way is oddly convenient for the size of his lot. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't have to like right. fil why why filter down when I can just take an extra 10 seconds and scroll through the list. Right. Um, and he does have yeah. hot links to sections. It's not just like a random listing. He's got cars, mm -hmm. then trucks, then SUVs, and they're each in their own section, and you can skip to them. Yeah. 
oddly enough, from an accessibility standpoint, his page is probably the best out of all of them. <laughs> I was going to ask, like, if, it, you know, it may be simple and it may not be as polished as, like, a modern website might look, but if you went to the site with the intent of looking for a car, is it, like, creating problems for you? Like, is it working with his, you? His biggest problem is one I'm going to come back to because I, I don't want to spoil it yet. Okay. It's probably my favorite okay. problem some of these sites have. <laughs> no, uh, like, looking at some of these sites, one of the things that I saw is many of them, I think three of them, had a call-out on them. And I don't mean, like, a, call. an in-page call-out, like a pop-up call-out. Two of them... I, uh, not following. What do you mean? So, one of them was a sign-up for alerts pop-up, like a modal Oh. Now, I don't know what an alert is. As somebody looking for a car, are you literally going to get a hold of me every single time you post a new car at this point? Because there was no, it was literally <laughs> just give me your name and email address and we'll send you alerts. Right. I, what, what? No, I am eventually going to buy a car. And when I am done, I don't need you anymore. That's, that's invasive. <laughs> Two of them and... Both of these used one of the, uh, I think one was using CDK and one was uh, using um, cardealer.com? Dealer On, that's what it was. Dealer On is one of the other providers. And it was a, one literally used the word coupon. (laughs) And the other one did not use the word coupon, um, but it was just, it was like a phrasing of, we will give you, like, a payment for free or something like it was something along those lines. I forget. Now I don't have it up in front of me and now it won't, I'm, I'm sitting here refreshing and it's logged that I've been there and it's not popping <laughs> up now and I'm too lazy to clear my cookies. Um, but <laughs> here's where this gets really problematic, especially with the coupon one. A, I don't like that. I don't mm. like it at all. I think it's stupid. Cars should not have coupons. This is not a discount haircut. Yeah. What is the, What's the point of the coupon? Like, is it giving you money off on... If, is it like, if you mention the website, then they gave you a right. discount? It's basically a... Okay. If you come here because you saw... You sign up on the website and see a car, we're going to give you a couple okay. payments or whatever. That pop-up on a mobile device takes up the whole screen. Mm-hmm. And oh there is gosh. not a close button on it. <laughs> Okay, if you hit, like, the escape key, does it close it? Where's the escape key on my phone? Oh, right. So they're not expecting mobile. Right. It oh, man. absolutely does not account for a mobile device at all. Uh, oh. The site itself is responsive, though. Like, the site relays huh. itself out, and you can see, like, it's got the squashed menu, and it's squeezed everything down. And you can still kind of, like, if you get to the edge, you can scroll the background. But the modal is there, and the modal is just like... It's entirely in the way. It's like the worst bouncer in the world for a website at that point. And I don't know, I guess to me, and we'll we'll talk in the second half of the show about like what we would do to make things better. But um, and I just said it, a coupon just feels very cheap. Yeah, it feels weird for, I mean, at least for like a, when you're buying a car. Yeah, because what you said. A car, the closest thing to a car is a house as far as the way in which a consumer purchases it. Right. Um, you know, they have expectations. They have very, you know, when we talk about personas, 
and you write a persona mm-hmm. and you talk about, well, well, what does this person need? You know, what are their problems? What are they trying to solve? And all of this. Car dealers should have a blast doing this because people who are buying cars usually have really specific needs. Yeah. And those needs don't overflow a lot. Like nobody is saying, I need a two-door sports car that seats six people. <laughs> That's not a, that never happens, you know? Uh, and so you could write really, really granular personas for some of this to help you identify what people are doing and how they're behaving. And we think about houses in the same way. Well, I've got, you know, I'm a family of five. I'm going to need four bedrooms. I need at least two bathrooms. And cars work the same way. I need to be able to seat four people. I need trunk space. I need four-wheel drive. Um, yeah. You create this checklist in your head of the things that you expect to have. With my wife, uh, she needed something small. She wanted something safe that felt comfortable. Um, she has a problem with blind spots. My wife's needs in that area are relatively well-known. Right. And so without having any of that, I mean, when, when was the last time you went to a realtor's website looking for a house and the realtor was like, hey, your first mortgage payment's on us if you buy a house today? <laughs> I mean, that is not how things work. If it does, yeah. then you are a very special human being with more money than sense. <laughs> and you deserve whatever you get in that situation as far as the deal goes. Talk, uh, talking about the um, uh, mismatch between like what, what the websites are offering and what we want to use reminds me of the tweet that I saw recently what said, if algorithms were waiters, Twitter, your friends like steak, try the steak. But first, dessert. Amazon, I'll get that burger started for you. And here's 10 more burgers to consider. And then YouTube, if you enjoyed the wedge salad, perhaps you would also like a plate of wasps. <laughs> My favorite is, uh, and this is just kind of a side thing, but the, but the Amazon deal makes me laugh because I saw somebody had tweeted at one point they ordered a toilet seat on Amazon. And then, oh then Amazon's <laughs> like, hey, you might like these other toilet seats. And, and the person's like, you literally know that I bought the toilet seat. A toilet seat is not a disposable, consumable good. Right. You should know I don't need another one. Yeah. That was funny to me. Um <laughs> Before I get too far off track, <laughs> boy, I like scotch. How, how about you? Um, <laughs> there is one, and you, because you had asked, you know, it, are some of these problems brought about because they're using these services or not? One of the features that mm. I find entertaining but useless are featured cars. Featured featured cars, because we're back to this. So who is this? Who is this serving the featured car? That's is this like sir? A good question, Aaron. And yeah. I'm glad you asked, because I don't know. <laughs> well, so like a restaurant. If, if you were a restaurant and you were featuring a new item, it might be because it's a new item or it might be because it's limited time only. Like, I, I could think of a bunch of different reasons why they might feature. Or maybe it's like a bestseller. And they're like, this is probably what you're coming to our restaurant for. You know, the garbage plate. You know, this is probably what you want if you're coming here. Um, so this featured car list has a 2018 pickup, a 2018 okay. hatchback. Normal, uh, let me go back. Uh, the first was a 2018 uh, crew cab pickup, then a hatchback, then a normal-sized pickup, and then an SUV. Okay. A 2017 SUV. 
And is there anything notable about these offerings? No. Is it like a rebate or? No, it's just what they're choosing to spotlight. There's just three, four vehicles listed here. And the point, your point applies well to my local dealer website. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd mentioned he deals, he has, I, I visit his site a lot because he has classic cars. And mm-hmm. he's kind of known that way in town. Like that's the, if you are interested in old vehicles, like, and I'm talking like yeah. pre-70s vehicles. Right, right. He right. always has some of those. Cool. So, if you wanted, if he wanted to have a featured car section, I could one hundred percent see. Oh yeah, highlighting his new arrivals. I've got you know, yeah, a, a nineteen sixty nine Corvette. I've got a nineteen fifty six Bel Air. Totally makes sense. But for yeah. these newer lot dealers. I what they're doing, I think, is I think it's just their newest vehicles. It's not featured in any way. It's just their new vehicles. Right. And yeah. I again, if I'm looking for a new vehicle, is my choice between a hatchback and a crew cab pickup really equivalent? Like, are are they, are they expecting the audience to be coming back to this dealer site so frequently that seeing the latest ones that have arrived, it would be useful? Because I don't think it's how people buy cars. No, nobody buys a car this way. Yeah, and actually, I'm I'm <laughs> right. laughing now because I'm sitting here looking at this featured vehicle. When you mouse over it, it scrolls up. Yeah, like there's a CSS animation oh. on it, and it's got a detail block to give you information. And the details are literally getting cut off by the button because oh. there's again, there's no accounting. Nobody is thinking about the content who who are putting stuff into this. You know, you know, it's something. It reminds me of um, when you're buying a computer. You know, you're shopping. And I guess it's similar to that market too. Like if you're like looking for a, to get a new computer or a new laptop, you want to look around, you want to find what the best fit is for you. You want to find the best deal because like it's a sizable amount of money, like, and you don't want to mess it up, but they always put these, like all these specs front and center as if everyone who's buying the computer cares about these numbers in the same way that car dealers do it. They always list like, you know, the horsepower and everything else. When I, I don't know that most people that those features are are important to them. Like, do I really need to know the cylinder size? Like, does that matter? This truck is magnetic. What? That's what the detail says. It's mag mag. It says it says what? magnetic. It's I'm like be, uh, because it's made from steel. About ninety percent sure that they are talking about the color. Like the the oh. color is called magnetic. But it's got an okay. icon next to it that I don't know what the icon is. Like, the icon is, it's nothing. It's, is it a paint bucket? Is that what I'm supposed to think that is? I mean, technically, it's magnetic because it's made from steel, right? I, like, so it would have, <laughs> like, you could hold a magnet to it. It's, you know, it's, I get it. Yeah, they're listing the, the factory color. But I, I definitely, the first, when I just looked at it, I'm like, oh, it's magnetic. What? Like, magnetic what? Magnetic brakes? <laughs> magnetic What's happening here? And then I realized over the, ground. the other ones, if I mouse over them, like this one has shadow black and then Oxford white and lightning blue. And this one says magnetic. Okay. Sure. Why, why do they name the color when you could see the picture of the color? I'm, I'm not going to hold the dealer to that problem. That's a, that's a factory <laughs> problem at that point. <laughs> no, I know. Like not, not why does it have like a fancy name, but. Why would you, if you're showing a picture of the car, why would you also say what the color is next to it? 
I mean, I guess like it could be a well, colorblind like thing. Thirty percent sure. of guys are colorblind, so yeah. But if you're colorblind, are you the person you want to trust to make sure? Like, if they're using a fancy name like Magnetic Red or whatever, are you sure that you want to trust that description as enough to know that you're getting the right color for you? That that <laughs> is a very interesting accessibility problem that I am not prepared to dive into. <laughs> uh, so I'm looking at this site right now and. One thing I love about it is I'm not, you know, we've, we have decided as an industry, this thing about above the fold is not true. Uh -huh. There is no such thing as above the fold. And yet I have just been proven wrong by a website dealing in cars <laughs> because they have a centerpiece that spans the width of my screen and I'm on a 2K monitor. And as a result, wow. their centerpiece has literally pushed everything below wow. my fold. You need to get a bigger fold, I, man. I have to scroll down to do anything at all useful on their site. That's I'm clicking through here, and another one's got a centerpiece, and it's, of course, a carousel, because of, of course it's a carousel. They have nine items in this carousel. <laughs> nine items. Wait, 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 wait. wait. A carousel, like... Like a like a, a slideshow yeah, like carousel, sli yeah, just a a clicky slideshow. Okay. Except it's of course automated, so it's going through. And I just saw one of the slides. Hold on, let me go back. Click. Okay, new offer: one thousand dollars and zero percent on select models. View <laughs> view one qualifying vehicle. What are the odds that as a visitor on this website? I'm going to sit around until the seventh slide and be interested in the one qualifying vehicle that this apparently applies to. And I'm going to click on that centerpiece and be like, holy shit, that's the vehicle yeah. I want. Okay. So there's also, this also has a giant, let's see if the main website, yeah, it does. This has four sizable paragraphs of text. Nobody's ever going to read this. You know, we say content is king all the time. But that's not the kind of content you want to view when you're on the, a car website. Yeah, the, the content that is king on the car website is the description of the vehicle at this point. Like, there is yes. there is nothing you're yeah. going to put on. And I know and there's going to be a content strategist that will come back and hang me for saying this. But <laughs> there's no content that a car dealer can basically own at this point. That is going right. to make you be just the SEO king of your region. That doesn't right. mean you shouldn't try, I guess, but it definitely, like, I don't know what you're going to do in that arena that's going to get you noticed outside of, like, some hyper-local type special stuff. I could see maybe one paragraph of text, maybe, if it was brief and concise, but this is, like, four paragraphs. Like, I, I mean, it's not fluff content you know but i mean it's way down at the bottom of the site it's below a whole bunch of clickable like out like outbound to further spots in the site it's it's not going i i would be very curious for them to use like a one of those tools that says how far down people scroll on the page yeah, I, I would, I would be very love curious to see metrics here yeah yeah because i i'm betting anything nobody gets to that so searching is a fun task here because searching is across the board. When you you know you come to these sites and they've some of them have search 
forms on their homepage. Some of them don't. It's it's all over the place as far yeah. as that goes. I, I've got one here that when you click something, it does the thing where it auto filters. So you click it and it immediately filters. Okay. I personally hate that because well, it forces me to... It depends on the thing. Well, I'm thinking about things like, let's say... I am looking at, well, and again, going back to our vehicle search recently, a hatchback would have been acceptable as well as an SUV. And so Mm -hmm. if I'm searching, I could click both of those and hit filter and get all of it at once. Mm -hmm. Instead, they forced me to click it and wait and then click another one. And some of them, some do, some don't. Again, it's all over the board. Some of them only allow one of those things, like their facets. Their search mm. facets. So when you yeah. get into that facet, they don't let you add another facet to it. They force you to either go back and clear or whatever. But if you go to a website, if you're looking for a car on an automotive website, you have a decent idea of the parameters that are important to you. Like usually for me, like I, I travel a lot, so I like to have good gas mileage on mine. So I almost always look for that first. Um, and then car size is usually a second second thing. And then like, other traits. Here's a fun fact. Out of six websites, none of them offer gas mileage as a filter option. Really? None of them. That's really surprising. I would think that would be... Well, maybe it's just me, but I would think that would be a very popular. They have mileage, but it's, of course, vehicle. Mm -hmm. Like, the miles on the vehicle. Um, Here's my favorite, though. Uh, This one has... When you click into there, they don't have a search box on their homepage. Um, okay. You have to click inventory and go into their inventory mm-hmm. to see it. Then all you get is a list of vehicles. And all you can do is page through those vehicles. Oh. Um, I'm looking at it, and I think it is sorted most expensive. Yeah, in fact, there it is. There's a sort box. It's sorted highest to lowest by default. Mm-hmm. And then there is a button here hidden not hidden but definitely not obvious it says quick search how why don't put quick in the name quick quick links and quick search is a bad name because it's no faster than links or searching and there's no reason to hide this because when you click it it opens up a sidebar panel underneath it that are facets make year price body type color they aren't quick searches they're filters and they should already be visible And they're hidden behind something called quick search. I thought I was going to get, I don't know what I was going to get, honestly. A search box, maybe. But these are the same options everybody else has, and they've just decided to hide them behind the click-through because of reasons. I, I don't, I'm never going to search for a term that isn't from a very like countably finite set of possible terms. And so why wouldn't you just arrange the form controls in a way that is iterating through those those that finite set yeah i think i and one thing i I mentioned uh when i said you know none of these sites i'm looking at has a gas mileage filter Mm, i think that's in that line that gas mileage should be a filter seats should be a filter Mm -hmm. doors why is doors not a searchable feature why is two or four two wheel drive versus four wheel drive not a feature Mm -hmm. um fuel type is oddly enough um, and I get it, you know, some people want diesel or whatever, but I don't think mm-hmm. most people care a lot about flex fuel versus, you know, other options. Right. 
this site has a filter that is photos with photos or no photos because let me tell you something <laughs> as somebody who is a consumer that needs to buy a car there is nothing that will sell me out a car faster than having no photos <laughs> they should just change the label to cars we would like to sell to you and cars we have but we're not interested in actually selling to you we want to hold on to this those. is amazing too so they've got a vehicle here so here's one that has that is a it's called a new arrival and it's listed with no photos. They've put a placeholder that just says, new arrival, photos coming soon. Keep in mind, they've had the time to enter this into their system. They couldn't yeah. be bothered to go out and take pictures of it. If I click through it, I don't even see the new arrival picture. I just see a broken photo icon. <laughs> <laughs> just take your cell phone. Most cell phones, the, the picture quality is more than good enough for web. If you go on a sunny day, go and take a couple photos of the car from the different angles, and then you got something. <laughs> and then if, if you want to, go get better photos taken later. Before I get Not too hard. much more agitated about all of this now that I'm really just sitting here <laughs> drinking and clicking, because that's just never a good... That's the way you end up in the weird corner of, of Tinder. Um, <laughs> let's uh, take a break real fast. I'm going to go uh, get uh, maybe one more glass of scotch, and then we're going to talk about what Aaron and I would do to improve upon. If we ran this show. If you give us a free car, we'll fix your Give us your a website. free car and we will absolutely come and work on your website. If anybody's listening, I I will hold up that 100%. end of the deal. I, I Not any car, that. mind you. I mean, I, I have some needs, but... I got two years off to my lease, but I, I'd consider... My truck's 15 years old. I mentioned that earlier. <laughs> Let's work something out. The sales opportunity. We'll see you guys back here in about 45 seconds. The Drunken UX Podcast is brought to you by our friends at NewCloud. Are you trying to build a case around an interactive map for your school, city, or business? NewCloud's interactive map platform gives you the power to make and edit a custom interactive map in just minutes. Their team of professional cartographers specialize in map illustrations and are ready to design a rendering to fit your exact needs. One map serves all your users' devices with responsive maps that scale and blend in seamlessly with your website. Visit them online to request a demo at newcloud.com slash drunkenux. That's nucloud.com slash drunkenux. Welcome back. Okay, I have no, like, trademark infringement or anything intended towards Hannah Hart, but... Boop, boop. I don't know if that played as well as I think it did, actually. I, I tried. I see a little waveform. Maybe I got a little bit of it. I'm switching bottles here. Um, <laughs> I actually drank myself out of the uh, Aberlauer. Oh, no. Um, yeah, I had to commit its cork to my cork graveyard. Um, I have a cork graveyard. And I'm switching to Akintoshin 3-Wood. I'm also switching. Um, I just picked up a bottle of Di Serrano today. And so I'm having a Di Serrano Sour. And that I'm using a different recipe, and this tastes a little bit like cough syrup. Oh. Yeah, it's not bad. It's different than I usually make them, and it's just a little bit more... I'm, I won't lie. I like a good amaretto sour. I'm yeah. all about that, so... This doesn't use sour mix. It uses just, like, straight lemon juice. And it's a lot more than oh. I typically use, so the almond, the almondy kind of fruitness isn't coming coming through as nicely as i like it but whatever i'll still drink it 
It's all good. It's the second half of the show. This is the YOLO. Yeah, no choice. YOLO drink. This is where we are now. Um, so we're coming back. We've we've bitched a lot about our experience with car dealer websites and sat here and even found a few things while we were clicking through that we didn't plan on seeing. Um, and all that complaining is worth nothing if we don't offer some advice. Mm. So that's what we're going to do now. Uh, if we were going to fix this, if we were going to build the best fucking automotive website, car dealer website we could possibly build, what would we do and how would we address some of this? So let's let's start there. And I think the important thing to start with is let's all acknowledge together, uh, when we said it in the first half, that Cars are not impulse purchases for most people in most considerations. Yes, I think that is a very fair assumption. Um, and the people who would impulse buy a car fall into a very unique persona <laughs> that most car dealers don't need to right. focus on, right. so to speak. Uh, because those are not the people they're going to make their money on. And, and really... If you have the if you have the the cash to be impulse buying a car, you're probably not buying like a Honda Civic or something. You're probably going to exactly. buy something a little fancier, and that's not going to be like these like private car dealers. You might be super high end, you might be ultra classic, mm -hmm. but those are very specialty ends of that market. Yeah, and the people with the most problems are the ones who are in the very middle of the market, right. I feel like. Right. Because um, even, like I say, even this local fella who has a really old, very boring-looking website, it's very effective for the way he sells cars. Sure. And, you know, it's not perfect, and I think I could do things to make improvements upon it, mm -hmm. but I think his approach is better than some of the quote-unquote newer approaches mm -hmm. of some of these other dealers that are actually... I think hindering their sales, frankly. Yeah. There's an article, uh, and again, we'll have uh, links to several things in, in the show notes we've kind of alluded to or, or mentioned in passing, but there's an article from uh, Giselle Auto Services. They talk a lot about friction in a particular article as it applies specifically to automotive sales. And I, I at first I was like, oh, wow, this is really great. Here's an article that is trying to get these people to understand things. Um, and, you know, the, the thing that comes to mind is that pop-up, the coupon pop-up, mm. friction. You're putting something in my way. You're getting, you know, you are impeding my progress. The, the example and, they use in the article is when you're about to close a document in your word processor and it says, like, wait a minute, are you sure? Do you want to save your changes? So right. it's getting in the way of you closing a document, which is what you wanted to do, but it's helping you in the process. It's, yeah, this is, that's why I got really uncomfortable with them mm -hmm. because as they described that that to me like they they basically were saying you need to get all the rid of rid of all the friction in your website except where it benefits you you the user or you the dealer you the dealer huh that's the argument they were basically making um because that example that you mentioned that should not be necessary if you have designed your tool correctly you shouldn't have to say, are you sure you want to do this? Yeah. Because you are implying that the user is making a mistake at that point. A good platform would have already taken care of auto-saving behind the scenes, doing all the things so that if you did make a mistake and you clicked and reopened the application, it would restore its state. 
Yes, I would say that in cases like when you're about to do record deletion or something, putting friction there makes sense because it's a destructive process and the reversion of that is possible, but more costly. Their argument was basic, basically boiling down to this idea that you need to remove all of this friction except in those cases where, are you sure you want to do this? Mm. Are you sure you want to walk away from this sale? Yeah, Are you okay. sure I don't you agree want to that. not buy this car? That's, I mean, that was what they were getting at. That was the argument they were making, and I don't agree with that. Your razor on this should be get rid of all the friction unless it helps the consumer get the car they want. They, they came to your website because they want to get a car. They wouldn't be looking there otherwise, and you want to sell them the car, but you want to sell them the car that they want so that they're happy. So, like, how can your website help finish that specific sale better? Like, you may be happy selling any car, but the consumer's not going to be happy unless it's the car that they want. And I, I mean, you could convince them that this car is the car they want, but that's shitty. Don't do that. The only reason that makes sense, the only reason it would ever be suitable to stop the user and say anything in the realm of are you sure mm -hmm. is if you definitely think they are making a mistake. Sure. For instance, if you knew the user was comparing certain types of vehicles mm -hmm. and they looked at a vehicle and didn't include it in their comparison, even though it fit the metrics that you were pretty sure they wanted. Yeah. And they were clicking away from it. I could see maybe introducing a, an element that would say, before you leave, are you sure you don't want to add this to your list of comparisons? Okay. Because we think you would like it for these reasons. Because then you think the user is making a mistake that they don't intend to. As a dealer, you have an inventory of cars with photos and other metadata, and the user wants one of those cars, hopefully. They want a car, and you're hoping that it's one of yours. So your job via the website should be to find what are they looking for exactly, and then what is the best possible offering you can give them based on the criteria they have for what they're looking for in a car. And anything you're doing that isn't serving that end is probably wasting their time or yours. Or not yeah. time, but you're wasting their time. You're wasting your whatever you're putting into it. Yeah, and in most cases, it's very little at, yeah. on their end because they've paid into a service right. and they're just going in, a new car comes in on the truck and they just throw it in there and they don't care. Yeah. One of the challenges I see here, and it shows that sort of lack of commitment to their site mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, they're just putting cars in a database, so to speak. I'm not saying this because I think it's good in all cases, but I do think it is good in the case of car shopping, which is six out of six sites that I visited lacked live chat. Mm, okay. Um, I can see the face you're making. Yeah. Buying a car is difficult. Buying a car is hard. I hate going to car lots because I hate dealing with car dealers. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's just an experience that I don't enjoy because I usually am very specific in what I need. Live chat has found a place and a somewhat successful place in a lot of industries in terms of when you know your consumers need a little bit of help. Okay. And... 
All right. It would mean I I would not recommend live chat be used to put people on a hard sell. Right. Just for it answering questions. It should be used voluntarily. Yeah. You shouldn't pop it up in front of the user. You shouldn't ask them to use it. It should be sitting in the corner waiting for them to click into and let them engage you. Yeah. And then you can help them through their process of figuring out what it is they need and if you have what they need. Yeah, okay. Okay. I'm with you. Because again, and let's go back to real estate. Mm -hmm. A lot of better real estate sites are starting to employ that technique. Okay. Yeah, because there are there are sometimes questions you might have that maybe aren't answered by the website, or maybe you have questions about financing or other things that aren't that they're like are adjacent to the purchase of a car, but not directly within the car specs. Yeah, and when we talk about conversion rates and mm -hmm. things like that, if you expect them to take the time to fill out a form, mm -hmm. to you know go through other hoops to get in touch with you. You're, you are putting yourself at risk of losing those sales, whereas if you had a tool right in front of them mm -hmm. that you could be, that, you know, maybe it's a button on the page, maybe it's whatever, ask questions about this car, get information right now about this, get help with this, um, you could potentially convert them right there if you had that option. So we're talking about conversions. You, you're not, nobody's going to buy a car off of a website. I, I Well, sure. Yeah. I shouldn't say nobody. A car dealer websites. No, no, no. There isn't Unless you're buying a Tesla, the answer is nobody. <laughs> right. That's the answer. Uh, I mean, you're not, you're, you're not going to be putting your financial information onto a form, submitting it, and no. then making yeah. a purchase no, on a website. Nobody, not even the dealer, is going to expect that. So what should the conversion be? And my, my first thought is that the conversion, it would be uh, scheduling a time to meet with a sales representative about the car or cars that you're considering. And if that was the case, then the funnel for that website should be helping you find what cars those are and getting those into kind of like, not a shopping cart, but like an, an interest list or yes, uh, something like that. And then getting all that set up and then having, this is the available dates we have and then have your information and then say like, okay, we'll see you at this date at this time you know, meet us here and then just yes. sort of like, and then do like a, you know, send an email reminder or a text reminder or whatever um, to like really close it to make sure they get there. But it would be comparable. And I know I'm always saying this because you and I both worked in higher ed, be comparable to like making an admissions thing with a college. If you didn't say it, I was going to, <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, cause I was getting tired of making real estate comparisons, but <laughs> yeah. I, I was thinking like this, the schedule of visit yeah. thing is, yeah. it, it, that is the conversion yeah. at that point. Cause yeah, the conversion happens on the lot. Even if you love the specs and the car on the site, you're still going to want to see it in person. Make sure that you right. literally fit in it. Okay. Make sure that the trunk space is what you're picturing it would be. Because there's all these things that are kind of like tacit traits to a car that you're not going to get on a website, no matter how good the stats are, no matter how good the virtual tour is, you got to be there to try it out. Even people who impulse buy cars don't generally buy cars sight unseen. And the only exception I think I would put out there for that is either somebody who just is collecting classic cars mm -hmm. or they're buying a Tesla. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> because I do I know people personally who have ordered Teslas without ever setting foot in one of their showrooms. That's that's an anomaly, and I don't think we can it, count it that. <laughs> no, it's it is one hundred percent anomaly. Yeah. It's a trust issue that you don't have with other brands, right? And there's there are other motivating factors that don't sure. exist in the normal market there. But so, I, yeah, but I think the conversion though, like the purpose of the website, should be to get you on the premises, looking at the car in person. Because I I forget where I read this, but it was something about if you can get the prospect to hold the thing in their hand, they're more likely to want to buy it because they don't want to let go of it. And yeah. so if you can get them physically into the car, if you can get that test drive, anything, it shouldn't be just scheduled for a test drive. It should be just scheduled to meet with a sales representative on the lot. If you can get them there, you're like halfway to the sale. And I could do that right now for this 2014 Ram 1500. Okay. They want me to fill out a form. That's five fields long. Okay. What's it asking for? First name, last name, instead of name. Yeah, it should just be name. Email address, phone number. No, I'm not giving you my phone number. That's just not happening. Yeah. And comments, questions. You could shorten that by two fields. Yeah. This happens to be, I still have the, the listing pulled up from the uh, the missing image. <laughs> The the new vehicle with no image stuff still got it pulled up, but you could you could make it um like contact information and it could be a phone number or an email address. Guess what? Phone numbers don't have at symbols in them, so you put one or the other. Which would you prefer? <laughs> That's actually super smart. <laughs> I I don't know how well it would work because I I feel like that's one of those things that while it's incredibly uh intelligent to think about contact me this way yeah and either put in a phone number or an email address and detect it procedurally yeah that's one of those things that um breaks one of the laws of ux though about doing things the way that people are used to in some cases and oh, not trying to reinvent jacob's a law pattern yeah uh i think if you name this field uh phone number or email address I think that people would beautiful. Yeah, people love it. People would know how to do it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Um, there's a, a an article, and it's a it's a super old article now, but it was over at Smashing Magazine from 2012. Um, Lyndon Cerejo, uh was the one who wrote it, and he kind of went through the process that I went through, which is this sudden desire, whether forced or uh, by choice, but you needed to buy a car, and it was a high priority choice to make as you know, a family. Okay. And one of the things he notes that I, I think is so important, and he was looking more at the manufacturer level websites, but the argument he makes applies, I think, to dealers more so, frankly, is most of the fixes that I would sit here and I would recommend and I would try to implement have nothing to do with being a car dealer. <laughs> It's nothing to do with automotive stuff. It's We're talking basic stuff. Like, if you're trying to sell something, you should put pictures on it. You should make your site as fast as humanly possible. Okay. You should not put things in the way of the user getting to your lot. You know, all very straightforward, like, base-level e-com type suggestions. 
I liked your suggestion, for instance. Uh, I think uh, you were kind of leaning towards this idea of, let me do something like a wish list. Yeah, that'd be cool. Let me literally go on your website and tell you what I'm looking for. Yeah. And then save it to local storage, save it to a session. If you can get me, there are tools like Mixpanel that are designed to connect past activity to future activity Uh after they have identified themselves. Okay. So that even if they were looking for cars before they gave you their email address or name or created an account, Mm -hmm. you can tie all of that activity together. So once you okay. get them to that point, all that past activity, said, they say, oh, yeah, they were looking at nothing but Nissans. And you're a Chevy <laughs> dealer. Ah. You have, you're in trouble. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. There are tools like that out there. And I don't know. Maybe they use them. Maybe they don't. I don't know. I'm guessing they probably don't. Yeah. Um, a lot of these seem like they're re- using like, off, like turnkey solutions. They're, they're relying very heavily on this idea of Getting you in person yeah. is all we need, but they're not doing what is necessary on the, they're not front loading that process to get you. Yeah. And if you're doing that, like there, there, it seems like if you're doing that with the way the websites are currently, it's just sort of dangling out like shiny things and saying like, look at all these cars we have come down and see us. And they're really missing an opportunity to actually make use of the tool. You have all of this technology there that's really not hard to do and wouldn't be expensive to have someone write for you, even if you're paying for a turnkey solution. You, you have this opportunity to have people pre-select and pre-filter and take a lot of the time out so that your salespeople can really focus. Imagine how useful it would be for your sales staff if they could get a report that said, this person, came, this person wants to schedule an appointment for this day. These are the cars they were looking at. These are the traits that they were searching on. This seems to be what they're focusing on priority. Now your sales staff has a lead and they have an angle and they can really right. push like, like, okay, well, we know that you said you wanted to look at these three cars, but you also said from your thing that you were interested in like, you know, mileage and also having like a smaller, a car with a good trunk or something like that. Um, so like, how about you check out this one also? The the data mining aspect here is it's one of those things that like as a consumer I should feel it scary, as somebody who's worked in marketing I feel like it's brilliant, <laughs> um, and I think there is a happy medium there that isn't necessarily creepy. I think that people are less likely to feel like it's creepy if you're looking at just the things that they are openly doing with your site. If you're looking yeah. at things from Facebook beacons or from where their IP is registered or any anything else that's creepy. But if you're looking at like, well, when you were using the site, we noticed you were searching for these things. So, you yeah. know, it's, you know what I, I would compare that to, and, and I'm not going to go down this trail <laughs> further than what I'm about to say. Cause Oh my God. But, um, if you've ever had any insight into political databases, mm-hmm. databases, Oh my gosh, that gets terrifying. Yeah. In terms of how they profile you Super as granular. whether or not you're a swing vote or you're hard Democrat, hard Republican. Yeah, it yeah. gets super creepy how they pull that off. Um, that's a topic for another show. <laughs> um, the last big area that I've seen, and I see it at every single level. I've got, I told you I had six sites open in front of me while we're talking about this, and every single one of them has this. Mm-hmm. Call for price. Oh, or no. some variation thereof. I, yeah, no. 
if you don't have a price, it should not be on your website because you are trying to sell something that costs money. Fix it. Yeah. There's no exception to that. You know, I and on top on top of that, like when when it says it costs, let's say a car costs twenty thousand dollars. If you're doing a new car, twenty thousand dollars. Realistically speaking, like you should have either like an estimated this is roughly how much it would cost you per month, or this should be a calculator that can pop up and quickly figure that out for you. And and it should be I and I have seen dealers that do this. I know that some are, and if you are that's awesome. High five. You're doing great. Uh, but like show the price. I'm here to look at the prices. If you don't have the prices, like that is a metric I'm using to, to figure out if I want the thing or not. Yeah, actually. And oddly enough, the, the site I'm looking at that has and I, I said at the start, all of these sites have problems. They have mm-hmm. different combinations of the problems. This site that has a weird contact form and no photo <laughs> has a payment calculator right on the page nice and you can plug in they've pre-filled out most of it yeah all you have to do is say how many years you want to pay and hit a button that's see that i like and it gives you your monthly payment uh and it doesn't assume the monthly payment right housing does that real estate does that in a lot of cases they try to give you like what your estimated mortgage is without taking any information from you i don't like that i i know that like there's going to be some fluctuation with with the interest rate and so obviously you might want to put a caveat that says like this you know fee is not it could vary slightly but this is probably what it's going to be there's a big difference between like two hundred dollars a month and eight hundred dollars a month right and even if there's some fluctuation of plus minus fifty dollars it, it's good to know like okay yeah this is roughly in my budget so there's and you'll sympathize mm-hmm. when i say the phrase net cost calculator (laughs) right and the laugh tells me that i was right on the mark (laughs) for folks who aren't familiar there is a requirement by federal law that higher education sites have what is called a net cost calculator so that people can understand what it costs to go to your university right universities have been very frustrated with this because there are a there are a thousand factors Mm -hmm. that can change what your cost actually is and most of them cannot be determined by a simple form on a website. They can't just put a number up. Just to clarify, you have the tuition, the credit hour costs. And so it's assuming that a student is doing 12, 15 credit hours. And then you also have student activity fees. A lot of universities have that. You've also got um, book fees. You've got room and board fees if they're living on campus. Uh, meal fees if they're doing a meal plan. Who knows what else? But, yeah, all those things. I'm looking at one of the dealers right now, and I'm, I'm looking across three specific cars, and each of them has a sale price. The sale price is large and bolded. Okay. But each of them has a list of things before it that says things like MSRP. Then there's the internet price. What does that even mean? Whatever that means. Okay. Then one of them has customer cash. One of them has a special value price of purchase allowance. And then when you finance through GM Financial, there's this list of different things. Oh, that's confusing. Instead of just giving you a price. So when, when people list multiple prices like that side by side, and like one of them is their price, and then they list another number alongside it, 
that's just to kind of make it seem like you're getting a good deal because by comparison, look, there's a big number there, but I'm not paying that. I'm paying this one. That's much they better. They're trying to get that that yeah. bold number as small as humanly possible. Yeah, don't do Even that. Even if everything leading up to that is nothing that applies yeah. to you. It's it's dishonest, um, yeah. frankly. Uh, I hate it, and I don't want to see it. I think the the price should be the price, and this goes way outside of automotive stuff, but let's solve this problem. Every car should have a price, and it should be a starting point. Everybody knows you're going to negotiate crap. You're going to do things that can cut the price down. Yeah. But don't try to show me a price that is intentionally lowered based on... right information that you don't know if i qualify for or not right i think the last real piece of advice i think that i can even throw out there beyond all of these little things that just add up to a lot of frustration is i think car dealers need to be less afraid of going out and dropping 10 grand 20 grand even 50 grand Mm -hmm. to have somebody come to them and build them a beautiful custom site yeah I think that a well-developed, well-thought-out, even if it's just a WordPress site, with mm. the right custom post types and the right strategy driving sure. it. Because that's the thing, right? None of this, all of these problems exist because there is no strategy behind it. There is only yeah. process behind it. There should be some, and this is maybe like an industry-wide thing, there should be persona research about like what kinds of users you have looking for sites. And what things do they care about? If you have people like me who care a lot about mileage, there's going to be other people that are going to care about what it looks like or how much trunk space it has or how many seats it has or how much, how much can it tow? Like all these different things are going to be very different types of users that you're going to have. And they're going to have very different concerns and things that you're going to want to address. And think of how cool it would be if you went to a site and you said you identified or were identified by what type of persona you are. And then all of a sudden, all the questioning and filters and everything that you're faced with are all things that are actually you care about. And then they can help you find the car. Because if, if you're like, well, I want a fuel efficient car, they're not going to show you like, you know, cars that are getting 15, 20 miles a gallon because you're just not going to care. You know, no matter how flashy it looks, whatever the toe size is, whatever, it's not going to matter because the user is not going to care about those. I can sum it up in one phrase basically Hmm. one thing that every single website was missing (laughs) car dealers hate him (laughs) one question okay and again let's let's call back to higher ed yeah what's one of the hardest things about navigation on a higher ed website uh too many options right because you don't know who somebody is right right here's the one question every single car website should ask okay before they do anything else on their web page and this is a nickel's worth of free advice <laughs> you're here first they should ask the the visitor of their website do you know what car you're looking for or not oh yeah actually that would be good because in our case just to drive it all home yeah my wife wanted a nissan juke mm-hmm. that is all she wanted yeah and I tried to look at other things. I looked, We looked at the Jeep. We looked at the uh, Fiat 500. Mm-hmm. I mentioned the word smart car. <laughs> but she wanted a Nissan Juke. 
And if you cannot give me a Nissan Juke, then nothing else matters. If I need a small car that can be convenient with four doors, then we can talk otherwise. If you say, this is the car I want, and then you can identify the traits of that car, and then maybe you don't have it, or maybe you do, and then you can say, like, well, we do or don't have this car, but we also have these cars, which are very similar to the car that you're asking for. Are they interesting to you? And so, the user shouldn't have to say that, though. Right. If I say, yeah, I'm looking for a Nissan Juke, mm -hmm. then that gives you every bit of information you need to say, we've right. got these other vehicles. Yeah, we don't have one, but we have these other vehicles. Or, yeah. in some cases, at least, and I don't know about New York where you're at, but I know around here, a lot of, well, and you mentioned it, you know, you've got one guy, one group that's kind of trying mm -hmm. to own all of those <laughs> areas. They own almost all the dealers. And here our dealers are, you know, like one dealer will generally have a Chevy lot, a Ford lot, whatever. Right. Yeah, that's what we have. Most of the time they have a, whether it's an LLC or a subsidiary or whatever, they may deal in new and recently used cars, but they do have a used lot that goes to auction. Right. That goes, you know, that can go out and find you the vehicle. Yeah. I said, there's one question, and now I realize there's a second question. The second question is, can you find me my car? Right, right. Find it, me this vehicle. You may want to sell them a brand new car with a high like markup, but selling them anything is better than selling them nothing and having them go to a competitor or not buy a car at all. Right. Yeah. And the only reason... I ended up doing business in town here mm -hmm. was because I happened to know somebody that worked at a car dealer. Hmm. And I told him personally, this is the car that I'm looking for. Right. No other car will do. <laughs> and he found that car. Okay, wait, I gotta know. Did she get the Nissan Juke? She got a Juke. Excellent. The Juke exists. It is in our driveway. <laughs> and so the, the moral of the story. There you go. Success. <laughs> and guess what? It didn't happen because of a website. Because the websites couldn't get us there. The Drunken UX Podcast is brought to you by our friends at NewCloud. NewCloud is an industry-leading interactive map provider who has been building location-based solutions for organizations for a decade. Are you trying to find a simple solution to provide your users with an interactive map of your school, city, or business? Well, NewCloud's interactive map platform gives you the power to make and edit a custom interactive map in just minutes. They have a team of professional cartographers who specialize in map illustrations of many different styles and are ready to design an artistic rendering to fit your exact needs. One map serves all of your users' devices with responsive maps that are designed to scale and blend in seamlessly with your existing website. To request a demonstration or to view their portfolio, visit them online at newcloud.com slash drunkenUX. That's nucloud.com slash drunkenUX. Well, I hope if every one of you who is listening who is a car dealer who works at a website for that <laughs> car dealer, obviously you will find this supremely useful. No, it's, 
there is a lot of information here that is good, I think, you know, from a usability standpoint. And so much of it deals with e-commerce in general. Um, what? We go back to almost, I think, episode two? Mm-hmm. I think was our e-com episode um, so. specifically. So there's a lot of information here that while we talked about the cars and, and the automotive yeah. industry and dealers, there's so much that applies cross industry. So I hope you found it useful. I hope you think about it. Um, if anything, um, the lesson to take away here is go get yourself a new car for free by offering some web development <laughs> to a local car dealer. Be sure to connect with us on Twitter and Facebook.com slash and on Instagram, DrunkenUX Podcast on Instagram. And also, don't forget to come tell us your awesome ideas at DrunkenUX.com slash Slack. And that's, we're, on, oh, we're on Spotify now. We're on Spotify. We are on Spotify as come well. Come listen to um, us on Spotify. We are pretty much at all the places at this point, I think. Yeah. And, and if... If you enjoy what you hear, I hope you do. I hope that uh, this past, what, 10 months has been enjoyable for you. Uh, I, I know my numbers tell me that you're enjoying it, but I hope yep. that you personally tell me you're enjoying it. If you want to leave us a rating on iTunes or we are now on uh, podchaser.com slash drunkenUX. It takes five seconds. Go drop us a rating there, whether it's one star, five star, three star. If you feel like five leaving stars. a review, even better. Also, be sure to tune in every Wednesday. We have either real-time overview or once a month we do build process. Uh, in fact, uh, right after this episode airs, this Wednesday, there will be a new episode of Build Process Ooh. with Kaylee Pearson. We'll be talking to her about design as a student, which is, I think, very nice, new and different and interesting. So, Will you be doing Build Process at IEDWeb? Um, I am going to be talking to several people there. One way or another, yes, there will be a build process episode that includes people from High Ed Web. Cool. I don't know if I'm going to do it with several or one at this point, but... uh, I'm excited to hear that one. That is, yeah, there are a lot of very smart web developers at that conference who do not get the attention they deserve. (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) And outside of that, folks... I appreciate you listening. I hope you're enjoying everything. We've got a lot of stuff lined up for the end of the year. We've got some stuff planned for next year as we kick back off with season two. And I can only leave you with one other thought. And if you are a car dealer, it's even more important that you Mm -hmm. keep your personas close and your users closer. Bye-bye. Thank you.